Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with conscious lifestyle coach Madhu Dasa. He was formerly a monk and is now an internationally recognized holistic health and lifestyle coach and professional musician. He lived and trained for half a decade as a monk in the Bhatki Yoga tradition. During these years, he traveled extensively studying Vedic arts and sciences under renowned teachers. For the last half decade, he has trained hundreds of healers and coaches in these ancient sciences and helps them create six and seven figure online businesses. Enjoy this interview. Great to meet you. Pleasure. And remind me, where in the world are you? I'm in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. That's right. We're, we're on, uh, in Southern California. The other oh side. yeah. That's the place to be. I actually went to, uh, took a road trip to San Diego last summer. So I, I love the way things roll down there. It's definitely a little different climate. Than yeah, right. A little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> well, pleasure to meet you, Joe. Thanks for setting up the time. Um, I know that Om and you were in correspondence to set this up. So I'm always just excited to try to contribute and share some helpful tools and tips, something that yeah, my idea is that whenever the listener's done, they go, yeah. okay, I feel like my life can be a little easier. Yeah, no. And I and I can just tell by your journey and your kind of eclectic palette of things that you are and that you do, there's such a, it's a great timeline. So I, I really want to get kind of to the essence of that. Before we do that, sure. I want to find out how you survived COVID. That was quite a thing for all of us to go through for the last three years. How did you get through it? And how has it changed you now in this kind of post-pandemic era of our lives? Yeah, it's an interesting question because arguably I thrived during COVID. You know, I mean, we got it a couple of times. That wasn't, I wouldn't call that pleasurable. Um, But it forced me to have to actually figure out how to live sustainably because I was running around the world like a headless chicken and in the name of serving others and just trying to share this anywhere, anyone that would bring me to a place they'd fly me in. I would just go in and give classes, this, that, the other in this mood of trying to help, but quite naively, you know, because right. as a young man, I mean, I, I felt myself like aging rapidly with all that travel and, you know, just sleeping in different beds, eating different foods or not eating at times. And it was just, it was crushing me. And then also my, relationship with my wife, you know, it was like, okay, see you next week. Coming back. And, you know, when we we're together, it was like almost recovering time with her. And then I was off. And so when COVID shut everything down, I was like, okay, this, this wasn't working anyway, but I don't know that I would have made the change myself. So I changed everything to just teaching online and virtually, which was scary for me because I'm like technologically impaired yeah. <laughs> technology. And I have never been the bestest of friends trying. I'm I'm, I'm cultivating that relationship. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But uh, I moved everything online. And as if magically, instantaneously, everything just worked. And actually worked better and easier and more sustainable uh, from teaching from my own laptop at home than it did <laughs> running around the world like Henry's chicken. Yeah. Well, and I noticed that too when I would do uh, therapy sessions with my son. Like, to load up, to drive, to get there. You're not there that long. Or if you're there, you can get it done via screen. There's just so many variables that go into it. Now, that's the irony of that time we lived through is that we realized community and human companionship was the most important. But ironically, we were doing it behind the glass. And, you know, but it was still that general idea. It was the human psychological notion that we did need each other. And we were still there. We just didn't have to be in the same room. So... Um, I kind of like the virtual element, you know, so 
Um, so let's get to the essence of what you do. When you look at what you do on paper, there's so much going on. But what I want to do is get to a, a better understanding. And I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day. Okay. One of the kids looks up and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? Yes. I actually only want to talk to that crowd at all times because I like when people explain things really simply to me. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So what I do is I teach people really practical, easy tools, to, to, you say easy tools and practices or practical tools um, that we can do that don't cost any money, but things that we can do within our own mind, within our own body that are going to make us feel more whole and more happy and complete. And then to, to maybe bring it up to like a fifth to seventh grade level from there would be like using ancient practices that people have been done, doing for thousands of years that are available to all humans from our skin within different types of practices that um, now we have data to prove actually work and actually can make us feel not only more purposeful and happy in our life, but, but actually a deep sense of contentment and, and a deep ability to sit in the present moment as opposed to being not in the present, in the future, thinking about what could happen, which causes anxiety, not being in the past and reflecting on um, that which can't be changed, which causes type of depression, but actually presence, which causes contentment, not necessarily happiness, but right. contentment, which is, which is no matter what emotion comes, we're all right. Yeah. We're all right. Well said. So when you were young, when you were around that, you know, 10, 11 year old range, what was your dream? What'd you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Yeah, musician. I just started getting into music. And there was part of me that always thought, oh, God, to be a musician would be great. I mean, you might. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what gave it, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into music. And so I always wanted to, but I, I, I always felt, oh, you know, to become a musician, it takes so much time and energy. So part of me wanted to be a musician. The other part of me wanted to be a, into carpentry. I love oh, Legos. Cool. I spent my whole life, like, building things. So I actually started taking workshop in school and my career pathway up until college was carpentry. Wow. And That's fascinating. So as a music fan, what was the first live concert you saw that really blew you away? Lincoln Park. Wow. Believe it or not. Yeah, I actually, my first concert was when I was about 10. And um, I was just, I mean, I knew what it took to sing by myself and try to hit some high notes and try to sing for more than a few minutes. And I thought, these guys are doing it pretty good. I'm pretty <laughs> impressed. <laughs> they just keep on keeping on. And uh, I, I actually remember thinking to myself at that concert at 10 years old, like, I, yeah, I could do this. Maybe yeah. one day. I don't have to practice. But like, I, yeah, I could see myself doing something like that. <laughs> That's cool. And 12 years later, only to be on the stage down the street in a venue playing a band. Great <laughs> realized. Venue, it was like trippy yeah that, that kind of thing especially when you know i i interview a lot of jazz musicians it's like when they yeah. get the chance to finally um like play on the same stage with their idol it's like that that whole full circle effect that maslow thing that just kind of comes together it's pretty cool um so i know you came from a family of yogis you have a very interesting background very spiritual background Talk to me about where you were born and raised and how all of the seeds that have become you, whether it's music or coaching or spirituality, how did all of these get planted in you to grow into who you are today? 
Absolutely. I, I think my parents get most of the credit, actually, because my father is a trumpeteer, musician, and he actually got a scholarship to Juilliard. Um, but he did what most people in his age group did when they were kids and just uh, became kind of a hippie. <laughs> you know, got actually not a cliche hippie. He actually got like shaved and head and tried to like live a really clean life and went like plant-based before even people knew what vegetarianism was like but you know kind of like a I like to say like a clean hippie yeah. and uh so he didn't go to Juilliard but he became uh yeah a type of spiritual seeker and both my parents at a young age so growing up uh seeing them I did what every normal child did and was like that's weird no thanks because you know they would, they would chant mantras and they would I mean there were some things I get with like, okay, I like the clean eating. I was like that. Okay. That makes sense. I'm going to eat something healthy. All right, fine. didn't always do it, but the yeah. concept was nice. So there's some things I can get with, but like the actual spiritual practices, they were too weird. I thought, I mean, now I'm like, actually makes a lot of sense, but then it was like, that's no thanks. Um, but I did get into music because of him and playing trumpet. And I, that was my first instrument. And yeah. I mean, jazz being my absolute favorite genre hands down i mean yeah. whose isn't it but uh, right <laughs> you know getting into trumpet and then from there my friend bringing over guitar i was like yeah i think i figured this out and then from there the piano and then just learning developing the vocals and it, that just happened almost on its own spontaneously learning music um, but with the spiritual practice what happened was when i was 16 years old my dad said i'll give you a hundred dollars if you read a book called the bhagavad gita which is an ancient yoga literature a five thousand year old book and uh, teaching on principles of yoga, specifically, not like the physical practices. Most people nowadays think yoga, it's like stretching, which is it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, don't, don't get me wrong, but this is the internal yoga, training the mind. And I was like, oh, I need that money. So I guess I'll read this silly little book. And it, and it opened my, it actually blew my mind. I was like, wait, this is what you guys do? Oh, so you guys just meditate. Like, this is just types of meditation. And like, trying to cultivate a pure existence. Like, oh my God, this is cool. And from there, I started myself trying the meditation. Also, I got into a practice called Kirtan, which is mantra meditation. It's all throughout the East. You'll see they do, they take these ancient mantras and they put it to music. So you got some rhythm, you got some melody. And so you, it's a call and response mantra meditation. I was a musician, and as you and maybe many of your listeners would appreciate. It's like, okay. I can get into some musical meditation like that. <laughs> you know, don't threaten me with the good time. Yeah. And so I started to do this kirtan or this mantra meditation. And it was like the merging of these two worlds. Like, okay, well, I'm doing a practice that actually helps me train my brain. And I do what I love to do, which is playing music. And it's like a jam. It's like an impromptu, improv jam with meditation. So I was like, all right. And, and so when that merged together, when I was about 16, 17, I said, all right, fine, let's do it. That's what got somewhat serious. So what was the name of that book? It's called the Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita. It's a, um, in Sanskrit, Bhagavan is a name for divinity, means the possessor of all opulences. It refers to just in the same way that there's one sun in the sky. And no matter where you live in the world, everyone calls the sun by different names, but it's ultimately one sun that's yeah. that's kindly giving us the heat. And uh, Bhagavan, and then Gita means the song. So it's, it's this, very poetic literature written in Sanskrit sutras, which means every line is metric. So it's, it's a music. It's actually, there's a meter. There's a musical meter to it. And it's 700 verses of these musical metric verses teaching the philosophy of 
the mind and the self of nature, of divinity. And the ultimate purpose of it is cultivating mood of service to all other individuals and ultimately divinity. And if we're, we're serving each other and serving divinity, then that's where real happiness comes. Because as you were expertly and eloquently saying before, community relationships are, are everything. That, that is the most significant experience in our life. So what to speak of cultivating healthy other relationships, but also culti- cultivating a divine relationship as well. And that's the, I mean, there's 700 more verses worth of content, but that's the gist. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's, yeah, I was just curious. I'd love to pick it up. Um, so tell me, who's been a hero for you in your life? Mm. Let's go broad first. Someone I think everyone could appreciate is George Harrison, because I always liked his music growing. I mean, the Beatles, you know, got to have some appreciation, of course, but, but George, George's music specifically, I was like, yeah, something, something about that. And, and there was always a a spiritual flair, but I remember I wasn't into spiritual stuff. I was like, no, no, just good music. And as I, as I grew in age, even like getting into some collecting instruments, like the sitar, like seeing he got into, you know, different types of things. And only later to find out after loving his music for years that he practices the same yoga practice called bhakti, that he created songs like Here Comes the Sun, My Sweet Lord actually has mantras in the background. Hare Krishna. He's got like mantras in the background. So later in my life going, oh my God, I've been listening to like kirtans and musical meditations this whole time. So he was someone that always impressed me because he took his fame and gave it, gave it in the name of service. And like, you know, how, how many people did he help? How many people did he uplift? And even, you know, would purchase centers. Like I've been to a center in um, London that he purchased for just a meditation home called the uh, Bhaktivedanta Manor. He just was like, here's this huge property worth who knows how much that I just want to give to you guys so that you can just keep helping people get familiar with yoga. Wow. So big, I would say he's one of, he's one of my guys. It's like, wow, incredible fame, but he never... Well, never, I don't know, but he always made it a point to give back and to contribute to others. Yeah, that's amazing. We, there was a band that just came through Kansas City last week. I interviewed a couple of the members. It's a, it's a Beatles uh, cover and it's called Rain. And they did a whole show from like the, you know, I want to hold your hand all the way up to Sergeant Pepper. It was, or, you know, even wow. uh, Abbey Road. It was amazing. They had all the costumes. They had all of the, you know, the visuals up there. It's, and, and I'm just sitting there thinking the whole time. In this Me Too movement, and in this in this world of people getting canceled out, the Beatles were completely clean. They were so good together. And like George, like I always felt like there was a special glue with George. I know it was all about John and Paul, but yeah. George was the one that like really was kind of in the backdrop. And when the cameras went off, you know that he was laying logic down in a way that was real, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. If you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now, and spend some time with them, who would it be? Hmm. Only one, huh? Yeah. Well, you could meet a couple. <laughs> yeah. um, I would say the person that I would be the most eagerly inclined to meet today would probably be I think this is going to come from a weird angle, but I'll just say it anyway. The person that comes to my mind is Joe Rogan. And my reasoning, because his platform is arguably one of the biggest ever. And my motivation behind that is not only, I mean, like him or hate him, that's that's a different conversation. But 
there's something about being able to have a conversation with someone and potentially talk about these fascinating com- you know, topics that you're bringing up that we're able to explore together that may uh, incline them to speak on topics that could then broadcast this message to everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first person that comes to my mind. I, I, I would love to be there with you to do that. I've actually really gotten into him in the last six months. I'm not understanding the the everybody getting upset. I've I've never really heard him get into anything that's highly contentious. I don't see him writing one strict line or the other. He's very well learned. He's very conscientious. He's definitely giving back. I don't believe the comedy mothership is all about him making as much money as he can. I think he wants the art to to proliferate. There's just so many things about him that make sense to me. So I really like I heard, you know, all the Spotify and all the stuff and the things that he did and and it wasn't until I dove in, but it's almost a meta conversation because he talks about that all the time, about how people will get like with John Lennon saying that people listen to the Beatles more than they read the Bible. He never said that he was better than Jesus. He never said the spirituality and religion of the Beatles trump that of theology in any, you know, so you take all of that out of context like they've done with Rogan. And there you go. You got the modern quagmire that's just, it's just what humans do. Yeah, you take just one clip and it's like, see, that's it. see, yep. you know, just disregard the like thousands of hours of others. That, yeah. And, and you know, as you mentioned before, it's this culture of just like, oh, you said one thing and I'm like, done. Uh-huh. Get out of here. That's it. You know, whereas you as someone who's holding space, there's such a great podcast here and, and creating such a healthy opportunity for people to actually have conversations. Um, I think you'll have you have maybe greater insight than most who don't have a podcast like this, knowing the value of just being able to hear the different thoughts. Cause yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had many people say things that you're like, oh, I wouldn't, that's not my opinion. Definitely. It's not my experience or I definitely disagree, but, but that's, that's the whole idea of having a healthy world is there's always conversations on both sides and some are towards the middle, some are this side, some are that side. There's room for all opinions uh-huh. and no one will know. Ultimately, no one will have all the answers anyway. So better to, uh, coexist and learning to coexist. And I think to your point that you so well expressed is that he does a good job of really trying to do his homework. And he also falls in a sword. He's like, yeah, Hey, I said this thing. I should have said that. Sorry. Which I'm like, my man, but you know, he, he lets these concepts fly, whether he agrees, disagrees, he'll challenge it a little bit. Um, but he allows the space for all different conversations and opinions yep. to be there and to coexist. And that's what I value. Yeah, and he he does it his way. He's he's cool about it. He's not holding back. And I think for so long we've all been kind of assailed, so to speak, by corporate media. There's only been certain voices. And I think that's the beauty of this podcast revolution is that we all get to put these stories out, whether we're you know talking about campfire stories or you know mysteries or things that no one really has registered you don't need nbc cbs or abc to hire a production company at millions of dollars to do it you have to have somebody that has the passion and the desire and a microphone and some know-how of rss feeds and there you go you're in just like that so it's good it's definitely good so let me ask you this um Obviously, someone like Joe Rogan and other people have a lot of motivation and they they have a lot of you know fuel in their tank. What's that for you? What gets you up every day? What gets you moving and accomplishing what you want to get done with your life? Yeah, I would say there's like an internal motivator as well as a 
you say like moral compass motivation, like an internal, I wouldn't call it an external, but like the, the, what's in it for me personally is freedom. I'm a just, I'm a big fan of freedom. And I mean, that's what, what a so non-specific word, but the idea is being able to do what I want with as little confine as possible. The idea of doing as I please, obviously not in a way of to hurt or cause any harm to anyone, but living in this life in a way where I don't feel constricted and bound. I know that that's just according to my psychological development, that's what I value. And so I, I live life in a way where I, I want to choose most of the things I can do because most things they have, got to eat. I never choose to eat, but you got to do it. It's like, otherwise it become got to sleep. It's a bunch of things that we have to do. So why arbitrarily or artificially add on a bunch of unnecessary obligations when we can actually just live life in a way that's free. And so that's, I know my internal, that's the one that, whether I want to admit it or not, I know it's there, but then on an intellectual level, my motivation, it really is to try to help and just, I'm so grateful for the knowledge my teachers have shared with me. I mean, the reason I would consider my life so successful as a young man, like, you know, I just turned 28. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a chap in, in the world. And uh, I would still consider my life outrageously fortunate and successful because I've had so many generous teachers that have just given me so much time, attention, and knowledge that have allowed me to feel the kind of contentment and happiness I do in my life. So I feel so happily obliged to try to share that with others. Because if I can just say one thing and one person hears it and goes, my life's a little bit, like the quality of my life is now a little bit more improved. My life's a little bit easier to live. I have more chance to actually experience something greater than my limited mind. And I'm happy. So that's like my real, like my, my heart says freedom, but my mind says <laughs> service. You know, you have a true jazz heart in you, and this is why. When I ask musicians why they love jazz, the number one overwhelming answer that comes out of their mouth, the first word, freedom. All the time. Like, they could say anything. You're talking about a genre that can paint any picture in the world, okay? There's paint everywhere. There's a huge canvas. And the first thing, freedom. So it's interesting you said that because that's that's always it, you know. I'm appreciating your backdrop too. That's like that is jazz, right? Cool. Yeah, thank you. I actually I'm a visual artist and I painted that. And the original one is in my wife's fifth grade classroom. She's a teacher, so there we go. Love it. Yeah, I mean, and there's something to be said about you know everyone likes music. That's the cool thing. There's no one in the world that's like don't like music. Everyone likes music. Uh -huh. And the cool thing with jazz is jazz is one of those few genres that. Because of how all-encompassing it is, everyone, no matter who you are and what you like, there is a type of jazz you'll appreciate. Unlike, like, there might be some people who just, they don't like any blues. They don't like any rap. They don't like any country, whatever it might, there's like, there's nothing there. Whereas jazz has an option for everyone, which I think is also a cool, fascinating concept. It is. And, you know, when I got into jazz, you know, I kind of am in, in that realm of trying to be a jazz purist. And people would bring up smooth jazz, which isn't my thing. But I've met and interviewed so many people that are in the genre. And there's times where I'm like, people are like, yeah, I love jazz. You know, they'll find out I have a show. And, and then they'll be like, I'm into smooth jazz, though. And I've learned over time that all of it's valid. I, I may not listen to it. Like, for instance, a friend of mine was telling me about the Kenny G documentary that was on HBO. Did you hear about that? I heard about it, but I did not watch it. I didn't either. And he was telling me one thing. This is mind-blowing. So in China... 
when they were all walking home there in the heyday of Kenny G in the 90s, that really big song that he had out, I can't remember the name of it, but it's his main song that you hear everywhere. They would play that over the loudspeakers in cities when people were going to work and coming home as a motivator for them. That's crazy. I mean, that's a uh, win. I said, what a win for an artist, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that is for a country of people that really do put work above everything else. And that's their anthem. That's wild. That's just, just crazy to think. So, um, so I'm curious in your work and your life up to this point, what's been your best success story? Personally, or success in terms of helping someone? Yeah, I will get to that, that that next for you personally, but for somebody that was a client, somebody that reached out that you helped that really puts a smile on your face. Well, there's definitely a lot, but the first one that came to my mind, just probably because I was speaking with her yesterday, is there's someone who I met. She actually came on an India pilgrimage with me. Every year I take people to India and it's getting kind of like a India is so intimidating, you know, so it's like, come with me, you'll be comfortable, don't worry, you'll get a, a traditional experience, but eating well and sleeping well, etc. And so she found out about my pilgrimage, came with me. And when we got back, she was like, okay, I want to work with you. I want to do some education with you, some coaching, etc. And for, you know, two months or so, we were meeting once a week. And she would tell me, you know, we, we were talking about like meditation, specifically teaching musical meditation. And she said, yeah, I don't really like my job. And I, you know, I make, I don't make enough to hardly live. You know, there's, what else could I do? This, that, the other. And I was always like, you do whatever you want. Like, why don't I just help you do what you're doing for them, for yourself? And, you know, I was always encouraged. She's like, yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day, maybe one day. And on our last session of that particular training that I was walking her through, she, you know, and actually I was, that's my style. I'm audacious. I'm just like, you should do whatever you want. Stop creating arbitrary limits. You know, like our potential is so outrageously amazing that if we're the only one putting our barriers, like why not get rid of those barriers of the mind? And so I was always like, you know, you, just so you know, you can do this as soon as you decide to, and you make the, you have the desire and you decide, let me know. And on our last session, she got furloughed. This is yeah. COVID time right? A few months after COVID started. And she was like, well, I wasn't quite ambitious enough to take the jump myself. So I got a little divine push here. And so let's do it. And then we immediately, I mean, immediately just helped her create her own business and and start helping people with um, different types of coaching models, bhakti yoga style coaching models that we were uh, facilitating for others. And I mean, it's been years now, it's been over three years, something like that. And she consistently has not only, I mean, it's successful from a financial, you know, she's rocking 20,000 a month from like her online business. She's got like a team she's building, you know, we've, we've helped her like grow and grow and grow, but the success really is in like the dozens and dozens and dozens of people that she's worked with that are now she's created a whole community. This is up in Burlington, Vermont. Shout out to you guys up in Burlington. And uh, she, as one person, just going every week and like doing these some musical meditation, teaching some yoga philosophy, et cetera, cultivating a whole community that now, you know, every week there's dozens and dozens of people that come together and they do this and it's just growing and growing and growing. And that's the power of just one person making a decision. Yeah. And so that's the first success that comes to my mind. So let me ask you this of all of the things that you've done so far in your life, what are you the proudest of? 
Yeah, becoming a monk for five years. Yeah, I did what every other 18-year-old does on his 18th birthday and shaved my head and moved into a monastery. I lived in India half the year, different monasteries in the West for the other six and like that. We could go back and forth. I would I would have been in India the whole time, but visa wouldn't allow it. So yeah. I had to come back. And, um, for five years, you know, I did what's, what to the material mind, mind sounds miserable. Woke up at 3.30, did hours of meditation. You live in a you know, it's an ashram. So it's like a spiritual frat house with a bunch of dudes. It's not the easiest, you know, if you, especially if you like your own space, it's not always the most comfortable situation. You're sleeping on the ground. You like, we voluntarily chose austerity, like just sleep on a mat on the ground, ate very simply clean food. Um, You know, just it went out and served, went to different universities every day to like teach meditation, you know, distribute different literatures that taught it, et cetera, et cetera. And I did that for years. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, I don't even know how I did that, to be honest. It's like, I'm like, don't ask me to wake up at 3.30, but speak at 4.30 or anything, yeah. you know, anytime like that. Um, but I'm grateful I did because it taught me a lot of things. But the one thing in particular is that I'm in control of my mind and my mind isn't in control of me. Otherwise, my whole life, I thought, even it wasn't a thought. It wasn't conscious. It was an unconscious thought that, oh, this, I like this. I don't like that. Oh. And I was bound by my conditioning. But it taught me, wait, I actually get to choose through the practice of discipline to, instead of being my mind's biatch, for the sake of, you know, it's like, just do whatever my mind's slave, doing whatever my mind says. I actually get to control my mind, which means I get to create my own destiny. I actually get to choose the life I want to live. And that happened for a few years of practice, of doing that, so that now I'm a normal person. So you got the hair to prove it. You know, an actual shirt instead of robes, and uh, and I, I attest all my yeah success and happiness to figuring out how to control the mind enough to do the things I actually want to do, not just what I feel like I can do or I'm motivated to do. But it's like no, I do the things that I've decided I do. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, that's cool. Softer militant training. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think about that with like someone like David Blaine that can pull off these crazy stunts you know he has mastered that like he was on that internet show the hot ones where they eat all the wings the hot wings um if you've never seen it you should check it out they have everybody the biggest people in the world come on there and they have 10 wings that go from like light to like unreal and this guy's interviewing them the whole time while they're just dying but blaine the whole time is fine like at the end he did a card trick with the guy and there was a card that he put in a Carolina Reaper and he cut the Reaper in half and said, do you want to do this with me? And I could tell the host was a little bit nervous, but he went with it. So the host bit into it and started just immediately like it was too much. Blaine just had no response. And I think about how what you're saying, that whole idea that humans can ascend to that level of totally, absolutely taking over reality in their own way. And it just doesn't permeate their bubble. They're just they're in you know great example too because it's it's such a visceral like everyone thinks oh it's hot i have to respond i'm in pain i have to cry scream out i'm happy i have to be whatever the case might be but actually we we are in control and at least it takes me a little bit of practice but once once you develop that practice it's like what's more worth developing right yeah Yeah. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you're in control of your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? I'm, uh, 
I'm a helper. I mean, ultimately, like in, in terms of who I am, what I'm here for, it's it's very clear. I've been given some gifts that I didn't, I don't, I didn't do much to deserve that. Like even some musical abilities, to be honest, from a young age, I could just la 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 la. There's certain, there's many gifts that were, were seemingly gifted. They they were given to me. They, I didn't have to call. Sure, I cultivated them more, but if I combine those gifts together and I ask you, why would I be given all this? <laughs> what, what am I here to do? And it's, it's to help others who are either in a similar situation that I was or a similar enough situation that really want a greater purpose in life, as opposed to just like, okay, you live and you die. And then that's it. It's like, ah, bleak. No, thanks. Yeah. It's like, okay, what, not only a philosophical conception of self that we are eternal, fully blissful entities, souls driving around a biomechanical robot, aka human body, the real us. That, that's why we say this is my hand or my hair or my eye. We don't say this is eye hand or eye hair, eye eye, because there's something beyond just the physical body. And in the ancient yoga literatures, they say that's the self, the soul, the spirit, how whatever vernacular you might want to use. And the idea that this soul, the real me that's driving around this biomechanical robot um, has been given these gifts so that I can help others provide a type of ease, happiness, and peace in their life. Like, again, my teachers have given me, I really, I feel so certain beyond a doubt that that's at least one of, and definitely one of the biggest reasons I'm here and who I am, but definitely a soul currently in a body you know, just like if someone's losing, if somebody's lost a hand, are they less of a person? No, they lost their legs or less. No, no. Why? So that means we're not limited by the body. We're not even limited by the mind or something divine or something beyond it. And so for better, or for worse, I'm a little, a little soul invited, you know, invited into this body for a short amount of time and try to help others realize too, that they're not so bound. They're not as bound as they believe they might be conditioned yeah. through society, through programming, whatever it might be, but they actually can provide so much more release and ease and peace in their life. That's the short version of it. Yeah, that's that's great. So let's say we get off our call here and a time machine pulls up in front of your house. What concert are you going to? What are you going to see? Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, that's the question, huh? Okay. I mean, maybe it's just because George is on the top of my head because we just talked about it, but he did, uh, George Harrison did a um, tribute. I'm, wondering, I'm trying to think of what year this would have been. Um, I had the album growing up. I would listen to it. It was, oh, God, I think, it was for a, it wasn't a fundraiser, but it was something like that. For I, I want to say it was for Bangladesh. And a uh, tribute to Bangladesh. Anyway, some of your listeners are definitely like, how did Madhu not know this? Come on, Madhu. <laughs> you got to know this. But, but that concert, he had Ravi Shankar, who yes. was a top player. He had all these incredible musicians come. That's one I listened to so many times that I always thought oh, that would be a cool concert. Yeah, that's a great answer. That's a great. So if anyone out there wants to learn more about you, hire you, anything pertaining to your world, where's the best place to go? Yeah, well, any social platform will work if they look up madhu.life, M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E, M-A-D-H-U dot L-I-F-E. Um, and the name's Madhu, like don't touch Madhu, easy way to remember it. And uh, yeah, they, they can reach out there. Otherwise, if they prefer email, just info at madhu.life. And and always like to make sure it's madhu.life, there's no .com, just madhu.life, info at madhu.life. 
Um, and we have what's called a monk mindset group. It's a free group where, because I believe in just sharing this information with as many people as possible. I think the only reason I'm so successful is because just there's a mood of if you just give so much to the point where people feel like, come on, let me do something for you. <laughs> That's at least our mood. And um, we have this free monk mindset group where we teach people how to cultivate and train the mind to become the boss, become the boss of the mind. And so if anyone, yeah, if I can help and if I could serve anyone there, and we even do some mantra meditations, some musical meditations for your jazz musicians out there. Yeah. Um, that's probably the best way where I can serve. And I always like everyone to start there anyway, before the idea of even me helping or working with it, it's like, let's start there. Let's see if I can, if we're even a good fit, if I can even help in the kind of content that we share. And if it is, then without any effort organically, we'll, we'll wind up having a conversation one day where I can help a little bit more personal. Yeah. Well, dude, this has been great, man. Thank you so much for opening up. Thanks for your story. you got a wonderful trajectory and I'm sure a whole, whole lot ahead. So thank you very much. Thanks for holding such a valuable space here, Joe. It's it's really, I, I hope everyone listening also values you as much as I do, because it's not easy to keep these podcasts going. It takes so much to talk about discipline and training the mind. Yeah. You know, as fun as it might be, there's so much that goes behind the scenes that most of us, we don't know of. I, I don't have my podcast exclusively because of how much goes into it at this yeah. point. And I, I just, I really value creating this type of safe space, safe space for us to get to come together and explore contents that are going to expand our mind. What to speak yep. of jazz expanding the mind, but all uh -huh. these other, you could say philosophical jazz. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so I really value holding this space and welcoming us on so that we could try to serve someone. Thank you, man. It's a labor of love. I appreciate it. And I love the work you're doing. So thank you. Best of luck with everything. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. 